From the state capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capital Report. And there are real differences in party platforms about um, where the parties are on school curriculum, where they are on school choice, where they are on bathroom issues, and where they are on uh, young boys playing on girls' sports teams. It was also discussed that the brains have difficulty shutting off before 11 p.m. Right now we're in a crisis and we've got to do something, particularly for the missing middle. The 2023 Florida lawmaking session is underway and this was day three of the 60-day gathering. Lawmakers are leaning into the work of passing a long list of priorities from their own leadership and Governor Ron DeSantis. From the fourth floor of the Florida Capitol, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. This is Capital Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan, and today at the Capitol... For years, Florida's local school board races have been nonpartisan affairs. Now it appears that's about to change. A bill to change school start times and give teenagers more sleep passes its first committee. And a bipartisan plan to create more affordable housing has already cleared the Senate in the first week of regular session. For years, Florida Republicans have been trying to make local school board races partisan, But this may be the year it finally happens if Florida voters agree. The move comes after a contentious election where Governor Ron DeSantis targeted several local school board members as part of his ongoing effort to counter so-called wokeness in public schools. And we get that story from Lynn Hatter. Florida voters in 1998 decided to make their school board races nonpartisan. Some 64% of voters approved Amendment 11, which also included other changes. The amendment went into effect in 2000, and it's been in effect for 23 years. Republican Representative Spencer Roach of North Fort Myers wants to ask voters to undo what they did in 98. His bill would put the question on the 2024 ballot. Critics are concerned. They say if voters say yes, it will close the primaries to no party-affiliated voters. And Roach acknowledges that's true. But for him, the bigger issue was one of transparency. A party affiliation lets voters know where a person is likely to stand on an issue. And there are real differences in party platforms about um, where the parties are on school curriculum, where they are on school choice, where they are on bathroom issues, and where they are on uh, young boys playing on girls' sports teams. Cecile Schoon is head of the League of Women Voters of Florida, and she thinks the measure is an unnecessary injection of partisanship that can make board members focus more on pleasing their parties than doing what's best for kids. The way people are behaving today, there's such an allegiance to party. If this is going to infect the, the one of the basic community uh, resources that we have. Lawmakers are also making changes to recall local government officials. Right now, the majority of counties, more than 40 of them, have no method to get rid of locally elected officials who act badly. But that could change under Representative Joel Rudman's bill. 
Bay County Representative Griff Griffiths is a former county commissioner. Griffiths says he's backing the bill because while serving on the county commission, one of his fellow commissioners refused to resign while under federal investigation. That member was later forced off the board after getting indicted. There were several of us on the board that preferred him to, to resign. He was advised by his attorneys not to. Republican Representative Sam Kilbrew of Winter Haven was the lone no vote on the recall bill. You know, the other commissioners should be able to hopefully keep a, a bad actor in check. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, and I think that citizens overall need to do their due diligence if they're going to vote for somebody to know who they are and some of their background. But people tend not to do that as a whole. Also moving forward, but with a lot less Democratic support, is a measure that would require locally elected school board officials to become residents of the place they're representing after they're elected. For Equal Grounds' Jasmine Bernie Clark, the proposal, quote, props up transplants. A candidate who is familiar with the local area will have a better understanding of the issues that matter most to the local community. They are more likely to be aware of the unique challenges and opportunities in that community, and they are more equipped to better address them because they are actual residents. Bill sponsor Dade City Republican Representative Kevin Steele denies that the bill promotes election shopping. He says it's for people with legit issues. If your house burns down and you have to move across district lines, you would no longer be in the district, so you wouldn't be able to run for your own home community. Democrats are soundly against the measure, but it's still advanced with a majority of Republican support. I'm Len Hatter. There's no lack of really serious matters facing the Florida legislature this year, but when it comes to a direct impact on public school kids and their parents, there are few issues that get folks more fired up than when school is supposed to start in the morning. School start times for many of the state's middle and high schoolers would shift under a bill that passed its first committee today. Gina Jordan reports the goal is to get teenagers more and better sleep. It was stated for improved physical and mental health, as well as academic and quality of life, that they needed eight to nine hours of sleep. Wildwood Republican Representative John Paul Temple reminded the House Choice and Innovation Subcommittee about experts they heard from last month explaining the science behind teenagers needing sleep. They cite biological factors involving an altered sleep drive during adolescence and the timing of the release of melatonin, a hormone that plays a role in sleep. It was also discussed that the brains have difficulty shutting off before 11 p.m. Temple is a former teacher and school administrator. He's now the director of professional learning and accountability for Sumter County Schools. Temple says nearly half of the state's public high schools and about a quarter of public charter high schools start before 7.30. So his bill says middle schools can't start before 8 o'clock and high schools not before 8.30. The American Academy of Pediatrics says insufficient sleep causes teenage students an array of problems. Dr. Brandon Say echoed that as he spoke in support of later start times. And we actually showed there was decreased tardiness, decreased, um, decreased uh, missing of school days. And then more importantly, I think as well, we saw that there was actually a decrease in the number of car crashes involving teen drivers between 16 to 18 by about 70 percent with that 
uh, shift in school start times as well. So not only the school performance, but also public safety would be a big uh, concern. Say is a pediatric sleep specialist in Tallahassee. He spoke on behalf of the Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He was asked what the research shows regarding elementary students. They do have a longer sleep time that they need, but they are able to get to sleep, you know, usually around 7.30, 8 o'clock, as opposed to the 10 to 11 o'clock that it would usually take for teenagers. So they are still able to get the appropriate amount of sleep with a school start time a little bit earlier. I do appreciate your bill. I understand. I have a 15 and a 14-year-old in the house, and it is a struggle to get them to sleep. Jacksonville Democratic Representative Angie Nixon raised concerns about disruptions that could arise with some schools starting later, especially with transportation. I have a child in daycare, elementary, middle school, high school. It's going to be tough. Yes, that is a choice I made, and that's the cost of being a parent, but I also work. My husband also works. Nixon was the only no vote on the 18-member panel, but said she wants more conversations about the bill. Similar legislation is awaiting its first hearing in the Senate. I'm Gina Jordan. The Florida Senate has passed a bipartisan measure aimed at creating more affordable housing for working families. As Valerie Crowder tells us, the measure is now headed to the House where it's expected to pass. The Live Local Act cleared the Senate on day two of the 60-day lawmaking session. The bill would give property tax breaks to developers that build affordable rental units for middle-income residents. The federal government defines affordable housing as costing no more than about a third of household income. Republican Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo says the measure is designed to create affordable housing for more of the state's residents. We're never going to be able to provide housing for everybody, but right now we're in a crisis and we've got to do something, particularly for the missing middle, the people that make too much to qualify for the current programs and too little to actually be able to afford a place to live. Governor Ron DeSantis has signaled his support for the Live Local Act, and Pasadomo says she believes House members love the bill. I've talked to uh, House members. They're all very excited about it. They're looking forward to receiving it from us, and I think we're going we're gonna to bring it across the finish line. The measure would also increase recurring funding for low-income rental units. The state sale program will get an additional $150 million each year. It would also fully fund the state's SHIP program, which offers rental assistance, home repair cost assistance, and more to low-income residents. Pasadomo says she expects the Live Local Act will become law soon. I'm Valerie Crowder. A Senate panel today moved Florida one step closer to allowing people to carry concealed firearms without licenses. That is, critics on opposite sides took aim at the proposal. The bill's now ready for consideration by the full Senate. Under long-standing law, gun owners have needed to obtain state concealed weapons licenses to carry guns. That's a process that has included completing training courses and passing background checks. The bill would scrap the requirements, though it says people carrying guns would have to be able to display valid identification upon demand by a law enforcement officer. State Senator Jay Collins is the bill's sponsor. This bill will enhance our school safety. It will allow law-abiding citizens to better defend themselves and their families and put good guys with guns between your loved ones and the innocents and the bad guys. 
the removal of a training requirement has drawn strong objections from Democrats and gun control advocates, including State Senator Lori Berman. There should be permitting. There should be registration. There should be training when people have access to something that is so lethal and so dangerous. The National Rifle Association, the Florida Sheriff's Association, and the Florida Police Chiefs Association have been among groups supporting the proposal, which has been referred to as the Permitless Carry or Constitutional Carry Bill. That's a nod by supporters to the constitutional right to bear arms. But some gun rights advocates dispute the constitutional carry label. They say the bill should go further by allowing open carry, which would not require firearms to be concealed. The legislation is identical to a House measure that's also ready for consideration by the full chamber. Here's a look at what's coming up on day four of the Florida legislature's regular session. In the House, the Education Quality Subcommittee will be busy on Friday. Members will take up House Bill 1, known as the School Choice Bill. It would essentially set up what are known as education savings accounts, providing state-funded vouchers that families could use for private school tuition and many other services and expenses. For instance, the bill would permit families to use the money on tutoring expenses, instructional materials, fees for some exams, and contracted services provided by public schools. The committee will also consider a bill requiring students in grades 6 through 12 to be taught that, quote, sex is determined by biology and reproductive function at birth, unquote. It also grants parents more power to read over and object to school instructional materials and limit their children's access to the school library. Schools are not required to provide sex education, but if they teach about HIV-AIDS, they must have their curricula approved by the school board. The panel also will take up a bill that repeals the penalty for schools that exceed class size maximums. In 2002, Floridians approved an amendment to the state constitution that set limits on the number of students in core classes in the state's public schools. The bill revises the way school districts calculate funding for schools that fail to meet the class size requirements, but it requires DOE to monitor compliance and require a compliance plan for schools that exceed class size limitations. And the Education Quality Subcommittee will also consider a bill that requires DOE to review all the training required of classroom teachers under federal and state law, rule, or district policy. After completing the review, DOE will eliminate any teacher training not required by federal or state law and provide recommendations to the legislature for what to eliminate in state law, rule, or district policy. Also meeting on Friday in the House, the Transportation and Modal Subcommittee and the Local Administration, Federal Affairs, and Special Districts Subcommittee. The Senate will be done for the week. That's some of what's coming up at the Capitol. I'm Marty Menzel. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Brendan Brown, Valerie Crowder, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, and Margie Menzel. 
Shows are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you get your podcasts. On many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in every Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. And that show is also available in podcast form. Technical assistance comes from Taylor Cox. I'm Tom Flanagan. This is Capital Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.